0: Father, we need you. We need you every hour. We pray that you'd help us now in these moments, that we would yield ourselves to you, allowing your word and your spirit to teach us, and that we would humbly seek your aid, that we might demonstrate the truth of your word in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... How many of you ever had one of those dreams where you showed up somewhere and you didn't have all of your clothes on? So only a few of you. I, don't, I think some of you are not telling me the truth. It's horribly embarrassing to think about showing up and you're like, what do I do now? There's no way of getting out of this. There are certain things we have as expectations of of Items we need to be prepared for something. Next year, I'm supposed to take my son, Andrew, for his 16th birthday on an Appalachian Trail few-day journey. So now, how dumb would it be for us to show up on the Appalachian Trail without backpacks and hiking equipment and camping equipment and maybe some bear spray or something to keep ourselves safe. It would be foolish, right? Whenever we're going to do something that requires items, you, you, you should do the proper preparation to make sure you have what you need. It would be foolish for one of the players today on one of these football fields across America to show up without their helmet or their shoulder pads, their thigh pads, all the things that, that they put on to protect themselves for these high-speed collisions. We have equipment to prepare us for what we are endeavoring to do. God has equipped us for the battle that Satan wages against us. Satan is seeking to devour us. He's seeking to cause us to stumble. He's trying to separate us from our faith. He's trying to keep us from trusting, reverencing, loving, worshiping, proclaiming God. He wants to... Ruin any confidence you and I have in our God. But God has not left us defenseless. He has not left us without proper equipment. Satan opposes the work of God, so he opposes the church of God. And as those who are born again, believers in Jesus Christ, you are that church. We are that church. Satan is in opposition against God, and thus he is in opposition. Against us. God's plan for his church is that the church would be embracing, demonstrating, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is the area, the hotbed of where Satan wants to attack us. We've been going through the book of Ephesians in survey fashion, looking at various ways in which God has given the church a mission. And we've been seeing how Satan wants to counter that at every turn. Just in summary form, I want for us to cover the sections, just in a sentence for each of those sections that we have not yet covered. If Satan can create bitterness... And resentment in the church of God, he counters the love of the gospel. You can see that in Ephesians four thirty through five two. If Satan can lure us into immorality and foolishness, he counters the light of the gospel. You can see that section in Ephesians five three. Through 514. If Satan can tempt us toward endeavors that squander time, he counters the wisdom of the gospel. You find that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And then this final section before we get to our defense. In Ephesians 5.18 through chapter 6 and verse 9, if Satan can distort our view and operation of home and work, life, he veils the demonstration of the Gospel. You see how God is calling us to all these endeavors, and Satan just wants to twist it, turn it, so that the Gospel is veiled. That's what Second Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that he veils the eyes, he blinds the eyes of those who do not believe, so that they will not embrace the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. With the various avenues of Satan's attack on the church, God has not left us defenseless. As the book of of Ephesians draws toward a close, God encourages us with a charge, listen carefully, to put on His armor. To put on His armor. Take a look please with me. Beginning at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Where the Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God What we first want to notice in our defense is that our defense depends upon the dominion-producing strength of God. That's a mouthful. Our defense depends upon the dominion-producing strength of God. He says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord. The word be strong is a passive command. It's passive. It depends on an outside source. And I want for us to to turn our attention to one passage of Scripture, and we're going to come right back. So hold your hand here and turn over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You'll find that on page 885 of one of our church Bibles. Luke 24, where we'll find the Lord Jesus use a very similar type of charge when commissioning his disciples in their gospel preaching ministry. Luke 24, beginning in verse 46. We'll start in verse 45, just a tiny bit more context. It says, Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and then the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be what? Proclaimed in His name, To all generations or all nations, excuse me, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, carefully pay attention to verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. The Lord Jesus unveiled their eyes to understand that He is the grand subject of Scripture. He demonstrated to them that He is the fulfillment of the promises offered in the Old Testament. And then He commissions His disciples and He tells them, listen, tell people about Me. Proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But don't go of your own accord. Don't go in your own strength. Go To use an old phraseology, endued with power from on high. Go clothed with the power of God. And how is that power of God evidenced? There is a promise of the Father, and that promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit Himself. Head back please to Ephesians chapter 6. And so, Paul uses similar phraseology as he opens up our defense. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Not strong in yourself. Not strong in your own might. Not strong in your own ways. Not strong in your own wisdom. Not strong in your own righteousness. Not strong in your own strategies. Strong in the Lord. Strength that comes from Him. He makes it very evident where the source of power is. It's in the Lord. Then he uses a second of three words for power in verse 3. And he says, and in the strength, in the strength of his might. The word strength there is the Greek term kratos. Kratos. It is sovereign authority or dominion. Now, I'm going to list a number of passages on the screen. We're not turning to any of them. I want to demonstrate one thing for you in these passages. In 1 Timothy 6.16, this word is used. In 1 Peter 4.11, as well as 5.11, Jude 25, and in Revelation 1.6. Now, in that listing, you have Paul represented, you have Peter represented, you have Jude represented, and you have John represented. These are all individuals inspired of the Holy Spirit that use the word, the Greek term kratos, and we define it every time in all of those contexts as the word dominion. Dominion. Very clear from all of those contexts that the word being called for is dominion. Here, if you inject that same idea into this passage, which I think is right, finally, be strong in the Lord and the dominion, the sovereign authority... Of his might. Be strong in the Lord in the dominion produced by his might. We have our third term for power. It's a separate term. It just has the idea of, of ability. So we have receiving from God equipment. Be strong. How? Where? In the Lord. In the strength dominion of his power. He uses three different terms to get this concept across. And the essence of it is to understand that our defense depends upon the dominion-producing strength of God. Now, you know who is the owner of that power. Do you know him? Do you know any of his acts? Start thinking through some of his acts right now. When there was nothing, he created something. From the breath of his mouth. He commands the waters. Now, have you ever tried to fight against water? Have you ever tried to swim upstream? Walk upstream? Or even worse, try to uh, paddle a, a canoe upstream? It is very difficult. Because power, uh, water is very powerful. The current is very powerful. God causes the waters to gather together as a heap. You see... All manner of amazing acts of God throughout the pages of Scripture. Now, many people don't want to believe that, that God caused the sun to stand still in Joshua's day or that God caused Jonah to be swallowed by a whale and then expectorated by a whale on the shore. People don't want to believe that sort of thing. God doesn't want to, people don't want us to believe that Jesus walked in the water, healed the lame, healed the leper, uh, gave death to the uh, excuse me, hearing to the deaf, uh, speech to the, the mute. people don 't want to believe that. they don 't want to believe that, that Jesus touched someone in his withered hand, became whole. they don 't want to believe that, but this is the power of God. And it is that one that gives us power to fight against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Our defense is not based upon us and our ability. Our defense is based upon God and his ability. Look at verse 11 now. It says, Put on the whole armor of God. The word there is panoply. It's it's one gathering. You don't pick and choose. Oh, today I'll put on the helmet, but not the shoes. Today I'll put on the shoes, but not the breastplate. Today I'm going to put on the breastplate, but I'm not going to put on the, the belt or girdle of truth. It, it's not... It, you can't pick and choose. It's not one or the other. The pieces of the armor are... It's not like we're getting ready for the Navy ball. And so, here we are. We're getting ready for the Navy ball. And I'm going to pick this piece of jewelry oh, because it complements very well. These these earrings. This necklace because it really complements uh, the, the dress that I have chosen. And I have this particular pocketbook. We're not talking about jewelry. And... Uh, Uh, accompanying elements of our wardrobe to get ourselves ready for some kind of a dance. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about an enemy that hates God, that hates the gospel, that hates the church, that hates your family, that hates you. So, God tells us, take my power on you, I will strengthen you, I will equip you, but you have to take it all. Put on the whole armor of God. It's all or nothing. The armor will give us the ability to stand up under the attacks of Satan. We must not, we must not give in to the tactics of Satan. For one reason, there's too much on the line. And for a second reason, too much grace has been given. As we look through this text, we come to another element of our defense, and that is this. Our defense is lived out on earth, but is a heavenly battle. Our defense is lived out on earth, but is a heavenly battle. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay. If you just take that statement and and extract it from the context, is that a true statement? Is it a true statement if it's separated from its context? I'm going to say no. Um, have you fought with anyone? Have you been irritated with anyone? Have you ever like had a hard time dealing with someone's personality, their way, uh, having a hard time forgiving them? Have you ever wrestled with anyone? Yes, I think I think we all have. We do extract. If you know, I'm not countering what God's Word says here. I'm trying to help us to to think through what God's Word says here. What we see on a day-to-day basis is flesh and blood potentially battles. But God wants us to recognize that there is so much more to meet the eye. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So much of the opposition that we face has humanness attached to it. This is why we are so quick to justify our responses. But God wants to remind us that there is more happening than meets the eye. Your, or mine, our human resentment or bitterness, our covetousness or gluttony, our sexually immoral thoughts or acts, have a much larger impact than we realize. We look at it on a human level. Well, how, will my act, you know, how, how did my resentment affect my family? How did my, my gluttony affect my physical well-being? How did my covetousness affect my job performance? We look at all of these human levels, and it's fine to look at them, but God wants us to recognize that there's a lot more at stake than those temporary items. Our lives are being lived out among the rulers, it says in verse 12, among the authorities, among the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Our lives are lived out in front of these spiritual forces of evil, And it uses this key phrase, in the heavenly places. Our fight takes place on earth, but but the fight is on another front as well, in the heavenly places. Why is this so significant? Well, the Bible tells us in the same book, in Ephesians 1.3, that that is where our inheritance is every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places. That's, that's what every believer has been blessed in the heavenly places. All of our spiritual blessings are there. Ephesians one three. Our Savior, according to Ephesians chapter one and verse twenty, is seated in the heavenly places. And the significance of that is he is seated in verse twenty one of that same chapter far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The church is how the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ is on display. Jesus is ruling. Remember, Jesus told his disciples this. He, wasn't, he didn't pull back any punches in, in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, go in light of that authority that I have. Go in light of my power. The church puts on display the fact of Jesus' dominion. Take a look, please, at chapter 1. We're in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 22 for just a moment. In Ephesians 1.22, the Bible says this. Right after he talks about being above all of these rulers and authorities. It says in verse 22, and put all things under his feet, God put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness. His body is the fullness, or Jesus is the fullness of God, and the church is the fullness of Christ. He is the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what is that telling us? That God's character, God's way, is on display through the church. Look at chapter 3 chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul's talking about his ministry, and he says, one of my charges is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities where... So what is God doing... In and through the church. As he equips us, as his dominion is is on display in us, as God's way and will and work is coming through us, God's dominion is on display before a watching world and before angelic hosts, whether they be God's supporters or God's enemies. The church the church puts on display the dominion of God. Don't forget that the next time you're frustrated with your wife or your husband, there is more at stake right now than the minor skirmish that you're involved in. The forces of darkness would like to use whatever they can to divide us. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, That while we live our lives out among human spheres, where people can see us, there is more happening than what we are immediately cognizant of. There is a spiritual battle. And what is at stake in this spiritual battle? The display of the gospel, the display of God's character, the display of God's goodness. This is, our, this is our glory. The glory that we have is that God dwells in us, and His character should shine through us. How can this be? It's the way that God designed it. And so we have a lot on the line. As we look a little further back in Ephesians chapter six, our defense. Our defense is not our own righteousness, wisdom, or strategy. This is very important to notice. Our defense is not our own righteousness, wisdom, or strategy. Verse 13 and following. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having fastened on, fastened on the belt of truth and having put on, On the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so often when we think about these things it's as if I have to be these things in order for this to work and if you're trying to be these things you're going to find yourself Really on shaky ground. Our own character, our own righteousness, our own wisdom, our own strategy is not our defense. The call is to take up the whole armor of God. The result is that you will stand. So he tells us to stand, therefore, because we're taking up God's armor. He tells us to take up, in verse 14, the belt of truth. The belt of truth truth these days is considered relative have you ever heard, you know have you heard in recent years the phraseology living your truth living your truth it's very interesting a simple google search for living your truth will reveal the way the world thinks about these things and it reveals the confusion among which we live and the confusion that can influence us if we are not careful. Here's one little excerpt from one article on living your truth. Probably the hardest part of living your truth is learning what your truth even is. In reality, you already know what your truth is. You know who you are as a person. You know what makes your heart filled with joy and what makes you smile If you ignore the judgment, ignore the hate, ignore society's expectations and definitions, you will become aware of the truth within you. I just want to tell you, God doesn't tell us to find our truth within us. He tells us to put on His truth. In addition to this, as he tells us at the end of verse 14, he says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. If our defense is based upon our own obedience or our own accrued righteousness, we will stand condemned. The Bible makes this abundantly clear. God hasn't changed his mind when he came to the the armor of God. He tells us in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds, not some of them, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter, or or his disciples, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds That of the scribes and the Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of God. And so Paul gives us this hope in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. And be found, listen, and be found. And be found by whom? And be found by God. And be found in Him. So now who are we talking about? Jesus. Be found by God in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When we come to Ephesians 5, uh, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse 14, and we talk about strapping on the breastplate of righteousness, we are not talking about finding all the good things that we have done so that we can prove our worth. And then you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. No, strap on the righteousness of Christ because that doesn't vary. There is no ebb. There is no flow. We can have every intention in the world. We can try to cling to our own wisdom. We can try to claim our own goodness. We can have all of the best strategies that we know of. But these will leave us lacking and prone to defeat. We cannot stand on our own. Which brings us to our last conversation for this morning. Our defense rests upon the gospel. Our defense rests upon the gospel. These elements, and we're going to look at this in greater detail on some Wednesday nights in the future. We're in chapter 6 and verse 4 this Wednesday. Pastor Bill has the next Wednesday. So in a few weeks, we'll get to the armor of God, and we're going to take our time looking at each individual piece in its context, and trying to understand them from Scripture. Right now, we're looking at this, for this series, uh, in, in a little bit more of a summary fashion. When we come to verse 14, which we already talked about briefly, he tells us to fasten on the belt of truth. The truth we are to fasten on is the truth of the inspired Word of God. We call it the Bible. It's elsewhere called the Word of Christ. It is in the Bible that we find out about ourselves, what we are on our own, sinners. The Bible also reveals God's willingness to save sinners like us through the sacrificial death of His Son, Jesus Christ. When a person repents of their sin and turns to Jesus Christ, the Bible also reveals who we are in Christ. Who is that? We are the righteous ones. We are children of the living God. And and that scrapping on the belt of truth naturally leads us to putting on the breastplate of righteousness because when we understand what the Bible tells us about our condition before our salvation and our position after our salvation, strapping on the breastplate of righteousness becomes a very natural defense. Because I recognize, not only can I claim what the Word says, I also know the Spirit is making intercession for me, and I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so, strapping on the breastplate of righteousness becomes a very natural response after we have girdled ourselves or girded ourselves with the truth. The breastplate that protects our lungs and our heart is righteousness, but it is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because we have fastened on the belt of truth, we know that Jesus' righteousness is applied to us. Applied to us. And we can stand assured there is no wavering with Jesus' righteousness. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He has two books on the armor of God. Volume 1 and Volume 2. They're each about an inch to two inches wide. I think they're about two inches wide, each one of these volumes, to cover um, verses 10 through 20. He has two books on this. Here's one of the statements he makes. There is only one protection, namely... The righteousness of Christ, not our integrity, but the righteousness of God, which is by faith through Jesus. Imputed, imparted justification by faith. When it comes to our defense against Satan, it can be very natural for us to look at ourselves. Well, I'm doing all the right things, I'm accomplishing X, Y, and Z. I did A, B, and C. I'm in good position. And God tells us, good position is not when you have yourself positioned. Good position is when you place yourself at the foot of the cross and say, I need Jesus. Strap on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap on the the truth of the Word. As you look at verse 15, it says, "And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, regardless of the culture that we live in, and psychological developments, and the reevaluation of traditional values, the gospel equips us to stand. Listen carefully, not by throwing counterblows." but by offering to others the peace that God has offered to us. This is what happens when we actually strap on the shoes of the gospel of peace. I recognize that this, it's, it's, a, it's a defensive position, and everything he's telling us is to stand. Stand. He's not telling us to run with the gospel of peace. He's telling us to stand. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we have to go anywhere. The, the point is, the, these shoes will help us to stand. We have an onslaught coming our way. What is our natural tendency? You're going to fight with me? I'm going to throw one back. But God says the, the gospel of peace is a ministry of reconciliation. Offering to them the peace of God that he's already offered to us. This gives us a prepared mind. A little further, we look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So here we have another piece of equipment. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Every one of these items comes from without us. The truth doesn't come from within us. The righteousness doesn't come from within us. The gospel of peace doesn't come from within us. We're strapping it on. This is an external grace that we've been given. Well, so also with this concept of faith. The demonic forces that are against us want to undermine our faith. But I want to remind you that faith is one of the fruitful demonstrations of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And I also want to remind you that every believer has been graced with faith. Listen to what it says in Romans 12.3. Every believer has been graced with faith. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Where does the measure of faith come from? And he calls that a grace gift. God graces us with a measure of faith to operate in accordance with what he's called us to do. We have an assault coming our way. What do I do? Well, I'm going I'm to pump iron. And I'm going to jog. I'm going to get myself fit. I'm going to make sure I have endurance. I'm going to make sure I feed myself so I'm I'm physically well and ready for the charge. Well, those are all fine things to get yourself physically fit. The concept here is God is equipping you with everything you need to fight. The fight is coming at you. You're not bringing the fight to someone else. The fight's coming your way. And with each assault, God has given us Defense. The reason that it's vital to understand that faith comes from God is that our faith can sometimes ebb and flow. Have you ever experienced that ebb and flow of your faith? Where you're like, no, I feel really weak. Uh, I don't really sense. I don't sense God answering my prayer the way that I want Him to. And uh, I don't really understand how this is working, why this is all going on. Our faith ebbs and flows. And because of that, we have to recognize that there is a, a source for a constant kind of faith, a faith that doesn't ebb and flow, and we need to be asking God to supply us with this faith. We need to face the opponent that is coming against us with the faith given by God, not a faith I muster of my own accord. I wonder where all that, that, that faith has its source. Well, God himself But as I look to God, I have to look to Him through His Word. Am I I correct? So we look in the Word and we see the nature of God. We see the character of God. We see the way of God. We see the will of God. All of this is coming forth from the pages of Scripture. And as I seek from God faith, God, I need you to strengthen my faith, I also need to, to look into His Word so He can be supplying that faith In a way that is solid, something that gives me firm footing. He doesn't give me faith outside of His Word, He gives me faith through His Word. As you look a little further, you come to verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. What is this protecting? Your head? Is that important? Ask the football players if they would like to go out today without their helmets. Probably not. It's a big thing on concussions over these last few years. Because concussions cause a lot more damage than people really even understood. But this is not about a helmet. This is not about physical armament. This is about spiritual armament. The helmet of salvation. Salvation. What is the source of your salvation? What is the source of your salvation? This is of utmost importance. The salvation spoken of as a helmet has been purchased by the life, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The helmet that we put on our head to protect us against the onslaught of Satan is of the victory that Jesus has already won having given Himself up as a perfect, satisfying sacrifice for my sin. We put on the helmet of salvation recognizing that my salvation is already secure that my confidence is in the work of God Himself. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and following, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile. In return, when He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins In his own body on the tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. When I'm taking on the helmet of salvation, I'm not taking on something I have earned through my efforts, earned through my earnestness, earned through my strivings. It is something Jesus has attained. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, for Christ also suffered once. What's the, what's the next two words? Jesus Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And then in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The helmet of salvation is all about the work of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is all about the work of Jesus Christ. Girding ourselves with truth, fastening on the belt of truth, is all about something that God has given to us. Fastening on the shoes of the gospel of peace is all about something God's given to us. All of these pieces of the equipment, they're all from God. In verse 17, finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We take up the sword. It's the Word of God. It is the inspired revelation of God. This is how the Lord Jesus Christ responded when He was tempted for 40 days. And we see the record of it in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. He was tempted for 40 days and he responded with the Word of God. In the Bible, we find out about ourselves. In the Bible, we find out about God. In Christ, we find out about the world. We find out about the future end. And we find out about the salvation that God offers to us. So he's given us all these pieces of equipment for our defense. Because Satan wants to steal away from us the embracing of, the demonstration of, and the proclamation of the gospel. He hates God. And he hates the gospel. And he hates the church. And he hates God's people within that gathered corporate church. He hates us because he hates the gospel. Because he doesn't want the redemption of sinners like me and like you. As you come to the end of the armor of God, it didn't end yet. If you ended at verse 17, you have missed the point. In verses 18 through 20, we have more. It says, "...praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." I want you to pray for me also, he says. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim what? The mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. All of this that we see in Ephesians 6 is a ministry of faith undergirded by prayer and seeking the proclamation of the gospel to the world that needs the salvation that God offers through our Lord Jesus Christ. Preparing ourselves for this, the end of it is the glory of God. The the pathway of it is the proclamation of the Gospel. The undergirding of it is the work of God that He does as we depend on Him In prayer, we're taking up God's equipment. We're not putting on our equipment, equipment we've learned about or earned. We're taking upon the gospel, or should be the armor of God, the equipment that He supplies. Have you trusted Christ, believer? Are you weary? Attacks come from every angle. They come fast and furious. Satan doesn't get tired. His minions don't get tired. The world's assault on the gospel is not, it's not tired of it. It will keep pressing. What is our response? God, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We need to yield ourselves to the Spirit, yield ourselves to the Word, and not lose sight of what's really going on. Our perspective is so skewed when we look at just what's before our face instead of seeing this larger item that God has for us. The church and the gospel is under attack. God's given us everything we need. And just so you know, that attack, though it may, it may appear, appear to win a battle here and there, it will not succeed, because it does not depend upon the church, and it does not depend upon you individually. It depends upon Jesus. It depends on Jesus. He told the Romans at the end of his letter, God will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We commit ourselves to you. Give us grace. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us a will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.